11. Stumbling Blocks I did not become a believer overnight. However, after my daughter was baptized, I began to ask, seek, and knock on that door and found that if I kept doing those three things, I gained understanding in the areas where I had struggled. Following the what-do-I-have-to-lose argument, I started to discard pieces of my doubt and chose to believe. I would avoid nitpicking and scoffing at every bit of the Old Testament that didn't make perfect sense in the 21st century, and instead look for an overarching meaning with a greater focus on the New Testament. This intention of mine lacked originality, as I recalled chapter 4 of the AA Big Book describing my exact condition. And this paragraph is from that chapter. We used to amuse ourselves by cynically dissecting spiritual beliefs and practices when we might have observed that many spiritually minded persons of all races, colors, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness which we should have sought ourselves. Instead, we looked at the human defects of these people and sometimes used their shortcomings as a basis of wholesale condemnation. We talked of intolerance while we were intolerant ourselves. We missed the reality and the beauty of the forest because we were diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees. We never gave the spiritual side of life a fair hearing. Well, that was all true for me. In the margins of my confirmation Bible from high school, I had scribbled in cynical comments alongside Genesis verses as I read the book, I read it literally to point out the contradictions. From the start of the Bible, I had issues. From the first page, since not one but two creation stories occurred. In college, I had read Native American creation stories and Hawaiian myths and Greek and other stories. And so I had tossed in the Hebrew book of Genesis with the lot, discounting it as nothing more than another myth. Rather, I considered it the dominant myth of creation, but no more correct than stories of Greek Zeus or Hawaiian Pele. However, when I, whenever I read any of those creation stories, I marveled at how over space and time, separated groups of humans came up with similar ideas about the beginning, as if there were an intrinsic knowledge or capability of understanding the world we lived in. Primitive or not, we all have stories to explain the world around us. We all have our own cosmology. What struck me is that all of these people found an origin story because they needed the spiritual presence in, presence in their life to explain why there is something rather than nothing. Why does anything exist? Just as all kids do, I remember thinking of the universe and how it could not go on forever that a meteor could not continue on to infinity because, well, I could not fathom infinity. Somewhere there must be a place where it ends, like where the vacuum of empty space just turns into a fuzzy TV screen. I often thought of a backstop on a baseball field where if the ball gets past the catcher, it doesn't roll forever, it can't roll forever. There's a backstop somewhere at the outer space to halt the ball. The universe had to have a backstop or a fence or some kind of ending. The one thing that kept me from ever truly abandoning Catholicism, even as an atheist or agnostic, was the pursuit of science 
among its clergy and historically, where they've been seen as anti-science, but I knew that there was also a lot of pro-science parts to it. The church has a lot of nerds in it who ponder those big questions. And as science had become my new religion, I considered the Big Bang the answer to the origin of the universe. But when I first learned it was a Christian scientist that came up with the theory, I felt a bit shocked, maybe even upset, because here religion somehow mingled with science without either of them being cheapened. And I also learned that the Big Bang, the name the Big Bang, was used as an insult about this scientist and his theory. But it stuck. Evolution, of course, was the other elephant in the room. And most of the time, I heard about Christians trying to remove it from the school books, from the Scopes trial to intelligent design to the latest Texas textbook controversies. There seemed to be a continuous goal to sweep the idea of evolution under a rug. Because of stories in the media over the last 25 years focusing on this fundamentalist view, I had forgotten that Catholics do not object to the idea of evolution. They teach evolution in Catholic schools and hold that evolution doesn't conflict with church teachings because it doesn't conflict with God as the first cause of the universe, nor does it discount the spiritual soul, the ghost in the machine that transcends the atoms that form a body. The soul is touched by the sublime, by the divine. This same idea can be found in all creation stories across the world, that deep in our hearts and minds we know that something cannot come from nothing, and that the soul goes beyond the material world. Far from being anti-science, the Catholic Church seemed to be one of the few pro-science religions, and this didn't get any attention in the press. From the Church's rule book itself, the Catechism states it quite clearly, and this is uh, paragraph 283. The question about the origins of the world and of man has been the object of many scientific studies which have splendidly enriched our knowledge of the age and dimensions of the cosmos, the development of life forms, and the appearance of man. These discoveries invite us to even greater admiration for the greatness of the Creator, prompting us to give Him thanks for all His works and for the understanding and wisdom he gives to scholars and researchers. So creation and evolution do not sit in permanent opposition to one another as both sides of the fundamentalist secular and fundamentalist religious folks would have us believe. Science and faith are not in a battle to the death. I used to think that. One thing that has amazed me is the number of practicing Christian and Jewish scientists in the world. I formerly considered these people to be mad, since holding both, holding both scientism and religious dogma could not be done simultaneously, or so I thought. These people had volumes more knowledge than myself on science, yet somehow they maintained their faith. How? How did they do that? Did they fail to take notes in college? Were they dense? I think that I was a bit dense, and I realized that science has as many radical fundamentalists as any religion. While I strive to deny God, I could never remove the notion of the first cause. Accepting this idea alone, rather than fighting it, reminds me a bit of the Ironman endurance race where I was trying to defeat the water rather than relaxing 
and letting it lift me up. Fortunately, there is ample readings of the church to discuss all of these things in details, in greater detail. And far from running away from science, the church's embrace of knowledge means that truth can be sought in both lab coats and investments. And then there's art. Yes, art, the unscientific pursuer of truth that spills forth from emotion and feeling, edging upon the spiritual realm beyond ours by its very attempt. We praise science for its march of progress, while art stands the test of time regardless of our knowledge of biology and chemistry and physics. Dante and Shakespeare do not diminish as we learn more about the world. The great epics and fables from all corners of the world are no less today than they were on first utterance. They were deep in meaning before technology allowed them to be presented on paper or on phones, and their depth exceeds the tangible things of this world. If I think of a song that animates my heart, take an oldie like the heavenly praise of Ave Maria, or rage music like Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, or tearjerkers such as Sunday Morning Coming Down by Johnny Cash, or Fade Into You by Mazzy Starr, or any modern song that the kids growing up with today are having those same emotions about. There's a paralyzing miracle to music that we all fall in love with, all of which brings us to a transcendent escape, whether we want to admit it or not. For an atheist, this is just brain chemistry and psychology at play, just as our soul is just atoms and electricity flitting about, bonding and breaking, bonding and breaking, until we fall into nothingness. Perhaps it's just a turning of the mind toward the divine that makes all the difference, just allowing it to be possible. Admitting that maybe there is more than just science made all the difference for me in appreciating nature and art in a different way. When God is real, and faith is pursued rather than eschewed, everything changes. Everything changes. Having walled myself off from God, I had actually walled myself in to an isolation and total loss of wonder. This is why people who have found faith are so annoying. Because it changes everything such that their former life seems like wasted time spent by a stubborn fool who refused to turn around and give belief a chance. That is why born-again people irritate us so much. They are happy. I used to say, they are just using God as a crutch. And now I think, wow, this is such a terrific crutch. I should have been using this crutch all along instead of those other crutches. This one is much better than the crutches of TV and beer and sex and celebrities and constantly seeking approval of others. I mean... You could say that anything is a crutch. Someone on Reddit once mentioned how desperate and lost I must have been to need Jesus to save me, and I thought, that is so true. <laughs> it was meant as an insult, but I realized that he was like an Irish setter pointing at the truth. This atheist made a great insight about me. I was desperate and lost. I'm so glad I found faith, because in the end, it's not the person of faith who is crazy or boring or adrift. It's actually the person without faith who doesn't realize their own desperation and loss. If I consider the boredom and restlessness I had as an agnostic or atheist, 
and the joy I see at Sunday masses on people's faces, there's no comparison. Laying on the couch, watching Netflix on Sunday morning empties me, while receiving communion at church with the other faithful invigorates me and recharges my life. This reminds me of Ignatius of Loyola, when after being wounded by the, by the cannonball in the battle, he laid in his hospital bed reading adventure stories about knights, and the excitement faded into disappointment after he finished those books. Then he read the lives of the saints instead, and he felt joyful and motivated and full of life. Tales of knights or superheroes are like candy, and stories of faith are like rocket fuel for life. Acceptance of God's existence may have been the biggest stumbling block for me. Years ago, I had allowed the idea of God, but I didn't fully inspect the idea until I started actively asking seeking and knocking and not after not until after i had pursued so many other things including sobriety and fitness and accomplishments and goals saying yes to the existence of god allowed me to punch a hole in the wall i had built around myself i thought i had built the wall for protection from the religious nuts of the world but by hiding from them i had walled myself into a darkness and for once i thought they can't all be nuts. And through that hole, I could see a little light on the other side. And it was about time for some demolition of that wall. <laughs>